what I was doing was completely illegal. And that, that's a little, you know, fun mishap, especially at 19 years old and, you know, first time in Kenya thinking, great, I'm going to, how are we going to penetrate the market? How are we going to get, you know, early adoption? All right. Well, let's go to the source. What's, who's our target users? Okay. It's, it's like low income, low to middle income class. Let's go to the biggest urban slum in the country and let's start handing out flyers with QR codes. And that's totally not acceptable by, by local authorities. I mean, you can't just, you can't just, you know, roll up into a community and do that over there. Every day, 830 women die from preventable causes related to pregnancy and childbirth. But Inya Seguin, founder of Baby Checker, is looking to change that. Baby Checker is a smartphone-based ultrasound probe that uses AI automatically to detect pregnancy risk factors. That's right, an app that uses artificial intelligence to allow for safer pregnancies. In this episode, we talk about what culture shocks Inya had when she first moved to the Netherlands, her experience moving to Kenya and approaching pregnant women to see if they'd be interested in using her app. And we also have a special co-guest, Buster Franken. He joins us. Uh, he joins us on the discussion. and We have a lot of laughs with Buster. I'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode as you listen. You can find me on LinkedIn under Eric Melkor. I can't even get my own my own last name right. Tag me, say hello, let me know that you're listening. And now let's chat with Inya. Inya, thank you so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. Now, I already know something about you. You are a Janis Joplin fan. One of your favorite songs is me and Bobby McGee. But what is something else that's interesting about you that most people don't know? Something interesting about me that would actually surprise most people is that even after almost a decade of traveling across Saharan Africa, I still cry in almost every airport and every flight out of the continent. Right. Okay. <laughs> Are you worried about something? Like what gives you that anxiety or stress? I'm just really emotional. What can I say? I'm just really emotional. All right. Okay. My, do you have like a teddy bear or do you use something to console you or what do you do to get over this? It's joy. It's pure joy. So I can get over it by just coming back a few weeks later. <laughs> okay. So I had it wrong. I thought there were tears of sadness, but there are tears of joy. Okay. No, 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 no. The, the Janice Joplin segue into what's most interesting about me should have indicated there's a lot of joy in this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. You know, I got to ask Buster, do you cry when you get on an airplane and leave the continent too, Buster? Oh boy, no. I, 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 I close my eyes. I get a little bit nauseous, but that's about it. No. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> definitely not. All right. Now, Inya, we're going to get into Baby Checker in just a little bit, but I want to talk about your, your background first. So where were you born and how did that shape your view of the world? So I was born in Montreal, which is a amazing city in the French-speaking part of Canada and moved around since I was a kid. So didn't spend much time in Canada, actually. Moved around in, in Europe and came to the Netherlands eventually a couple of years ago. Well, more than a couple of years ago now to study and then basically stayed here, you know, co-founded a startup. And now, of course, I'm doing Baby Checker. And I think that sort of moving around lifestyle, going to school with a lot of international people, will shape everything that I do today. I think it makes you really adaptable to different environments and makes you really open and perceptive on the world. And it makes you learn that you there's a lot you don't know. So I know that I don't know in every environment I get into. And I think that's, that was really shaped by that upbringing. 
Yeah. Did you have any big culture shocks when you moved to the Netherlands? Yes. <laughs> was it like food related? Was it how people treated one another? Like, what was it? <laughs> yeah, I think the, I mean, the typical things, I think you've spoken to a few Dutch people on your podcast so far. So I think that these things may have come up, but the directness is definitely, I think it's more appreciated from my end, at least than, than other, you know, expats yeah, yeah. or people coming into the Netherlands may say. I appreciate it a lot, actually, especially in the professional worlds, I think more so than the person, my personal life. But I think it's it's something I really enjoy. Cultural shock could be also, yeah, the food. I mean, I'm a massive foodie and, and I I don't think most Dutch people come across as massive foodie. (laughs) It just might accentuate and I feel like I'm more of a foodie than I've ever been because of living in in a country where, yeah, food is pretty, uh, pretty square. You need to survive. I eat to thrive. And I think that's a big yeah. cultural difference. No, here. definitely. Dutch Dutch cuisine is basically limited to anything that can be put in a little little jacket of dough and then deep fried. Uh, <laughs> so you don't go out to like satisfy your, you know, your craving of tasting a delicious meal. It's just more like out of necessity. Is that what you're saying? Oh no, it's not what I'm saying. I I, I think think most Dutch people have come around by now, but but you can't like just make up a couple of hundred years of of cultural and cuisine development. So we just import cuisines from around the world. I think that I think we do that relatively successful. Okay. Just saying, <laughs> Absolutely. Such it, it's such a rational, functional mindset through and through in this country, which is why I love it. Honestly, I think people are very focused on the optimizing things and making it as efficient as possible, but with a hint of craziness. Unlike, because what the first part was more like what people say about Germans, you know, but in the Netherlands, you get this other more nuanced, fun, vibrant lifestyle that that is like, yeah, the nice little cocktail with the more functional stuff. All right. All right. Now, how did people welcome you over there? I mean, you said you went there to study at uni. Were other students very receptive of you? Did you make a lot of friends pretty easily? And when did you, you meet Buster? How did that, how did, <laughs> how did that first First interaction come about? Well, uni was an extension of being in an international environment in high school, basically. So I came into a program of political science full of international students. So it was basically just going into my, you know, the same, the same sort of familiar environment, except now actually studying something I enjoy and wanted to study. So, so yeah, that was great. Can't say I made many, I can count on one hand how many Dutch friends I made. Yeah, mostly people thing. from all around the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a thing for sure. And then Buster and I met. I'm not sure what the timeline is on that, but we met by being both part of Sigma, which is yeah. a great community worldwide and that Buster leads in the in the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah. This is the Sigma Squared Society, correct? That's correct. Yeah. But but yeah. but and yeah, about the like making Dutch friends. I think this is actually something that's like quite quite interesting because I of course don't have this experience. But like, can you describe like why that is, why that is difficult? I'm, I'm sure you like reflected on this, like breaking into their friend groups or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. But, and, and, you know, that being said, I think that happens in every country. I think if you go study abroad anyway, the, the, you know, the, the kids that are from the block are, are going to be more interested in their friends that they've had forever than, than really making new friends. Although there are some, of course, there's some exceptions, but if you go to uni, and, you know, you're from that city, you're most likely going to still be living with your parents. So your friends are still around. Your friends from high school or even kindergarten are, are still around. 
you already have your hobbies that you've already are still picking up from high school. So it's just completely different lifestyles. So that means, you know, as soon as you get into uni, I'm starting a life in this new country, whereas you're just continuing the same life, just with different classes at a different institution. So that's that's the big, biggest difference. Intro week, we were all together. And that was the last time I saw most Dutch people outside of class <laughs> because they all went into their hockey association and their fraternities and yeah. their sororities, which international students were not even told existed before. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of the thing. Well, how is it now, though? It seems like you do have some Dutch friends now. <laughs> Has it gotten better? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like all the all my international friends left, right? So I have I have no choice. I have to. Yeah, yeah. I have to meet people like Buster who are, you know, born and bred. You think some of the least good Dutch, Dutch, Dutch people. Yeah. Well, Buster seems like a, a great Dutch. Uh, yeah, to have. okay. Oh, you yeah. can say that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Inya, I noticed something else. You are the co-founder of Yapili. And I think I said that correct. And this is an app that connects African health seekers to medical advisors worldwide. Tell us about this. I mean, when did you get the idea, the inspiration for creating such a, a, a tool? So university, I was getting more involved in the global public health courses outside of doing political science and then just becoming more familiar with the role of digital health platforms, which was really at that point, like, what is that, 2017? I was, that was really new, like digital health, anything in sub-Saharan Africa was really, I mean, it was such a niche market. And I was hearing about some very like old school methods of using SMS to text midwives for midwives to text their patients. Mm-hmm. And I mean, <laughs> to, for, to not to be too cliche, but, and then I thought, well, what can we, if, what if we can make an app for that? <laughs> so basically just, you know, all the, the foundation of all of it is, is, you know, what if we can leverage mobile technology and the penetration that mobile technology was having at the time and continues to have in, especially in East Africa at the time, what if we can do that to increase access to healthcare? And there was some people became my co-founders who were also kind of developing that concept. And then we developed Nepili together, which means second option in Swahili, since we started mostly in East Africa and Swahili is a very, very common language, well, all over the continent, really. Uh, and second option really came from the the aspect of, you know, if you have a medical emergency, go to your doctor, go to the hospital. Digital health, even today, won't have the capabilities of replacing a medical system. But what right. it can do is it can help prevent, it can help with second options or second opinion diagnoses um, Mm -hmm. and can really be leveraged. I mean, the sky's the limit. So that's that was a thought behind it. After a quick break, Inya and I talk about what her parents said about her moving to Kenya. All right, let's take a quick break and tell you about Easy Sales. That's right, the sponsor of our podcast. If you sell products online or through a physical store, Easy Sales helps you list your products on other marketplaces like Emag, OLX, and eBay all without having to do any coding. Yeah, that's right. No IT background required. And that's not all. Easy Sales automatically generates invoices, translates your product descriptions when listing on international marketplaces, and integrates with a host of popular platforms like Shopify and Magento. By using their fast activation, you can start increasing online sales in no time. And so you should learn more about Easy Sales how it can help improve your business at easysales.com. 
Welcome back to my conversation with Inya. As a parent, I am so curious to what her parents thought about her moving to Kenya. I also wanted to know what kind of success she was having with the app. So let's continue our conversation with Inya. What about the adoption factor? Were you on the ground trying to get people to start using this and experimenting yeah. with it? Yeah, yeah, definitely on the grounds. I was walking through Langata and Kibera, which is, I think, still now one of the largest urban slums in the, on the continent, handing out flyers and encouraging people to sign up for the app just to find out that what I was doing was completely illegal. And that, that's a little, you know, fun mishap, especially at 19 years old, you know, first time in Kenya thinking, great, I'm going to, how are we going to penetrate the market? How are we going to get, you know, early adoption? All right, well, let's go to the source. What's, who's our target users? Okay, it's, it's like low income, low to middle income class. Let's go to the biggest urban slum in the country and let's start handing out flyers with QR codes. And that's totally not acceptable by, by local authorities. I mean, you can't just, you can't just, you know, roll up into a community and do that over there. So uh, yeah, learned a lot. But that, that's the first visual that came to mind when you asked that question. <laughs> okay. As a parent, I've got to ask, like, how did you pitch Nine. this to your parents? <laughs> what did they say? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, a great statement in general, because I think, and also to make it more broad, the largest part that makes me me and that hasn't continued to make me me is the upbringing of just kind of being free. My mom's going to hate hearing that, but I was very free as a kid, very fearless just kind of doing whatever I really felt like on the moment, not really, you know, being being restricted in that many ways. So I think that was also her vibe in, in just letting me grow. It's like, do whatever, you know, your intuition, follow your intuition and have fun. Why, 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 why is your mom going to hate hearing that? Because I think every parent like, wants to kind of put forth that they, you know, that they, that they were, you know, disciplinarians and that they did, that they did their job as a parent to control right. and restrict wherever they was possible and to, you know, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I was a very free kid. I didn't have that many restrictions. Buster, she doesn't have the boxing background that you do. Okay. So, you know, that's one thing. Or at least I'm assuming. But so okay, let's let's just let's just try to I'm trying to imagine this. You're walking around, as you said, in the slums of these cities doing something that you don't really have approval from the government, right? Yeah. What were you telling these women and what was their reaction like? Like for every ten women, did like two or three say, Yeah, I'll try it. Let me use the app. You know, what was your success rate like or failure rate? I think everyone who had a smartphone and who had mobile data accessed the app. What did you tell them to, to get them to persuade them to try it? I basically, well, I engaged in a lot of conversations about, because, you know, we were still trying to see what our market was. Like, are we going to be a an app for maternal health or mental health or chronic illness management? We were still really unsure about that. Like we, we launched this very yeah. broad peer-to-peer platform in seven countries that was just with, you know, doctors with tropical medicine backgrounds, nurses, psychologists, like a bunch of different types of health professionals and just kind of let it, you know, fly <laughs> like me as a kid. <laughs> we just let it happen. And it was, it was partially because we weren't too sure about what the best approach was, but also it was our approach in, in testing the market, seeing what, what was needed out there. I mean, it was the first platform to engage international medical professionals with health seekers in Africa and do, and do that cross border. 
we were the first ones to do that. So we had to see what was up in the market. What do people want? So that was the conversation that I was having is what, what are your limitations right now? So going up to a pregnant woman saying, Hey, are you getting all the health advice you need at the moment? And, and listening to her tell me, you know, yeah, yeah, I'm going on these Facebook groups and I'm asking different women what I should do about this with this pregnancy. I've heard from my cousin that I can't really eat that many eggs. So yeah, I'm using Facebook at the moment. And I would say, okay, how would you feel if we connected you to a, to a midwife who has experience working in, in you know, these mm-hmm. sorts of settings or even a midwife in your own country? And, and you could just text her the same way you're using Facebook. No new novel ways of communicating, just, you know, text and voice notes. Okay. And, and she's actually trained to help you. And, and she said, that would be great. That'd be fantastic. So yeah, that was it. How long were you on the ground and how long did you continue to, to get this up and running and, and, you know, oversee this program, this initiative? So it was, it was an entire summer. It was right after I graduated from my bachelor's. I went to Kenya. I went to a few other places. I went to Botswana. That was my was my first time in Southern Africa. Very interesting stories there as well. And then and then the part after that, you know, once we had our early users, our early adopters, was to try to make a business model work and raise funds. So I right. came back to Europe, right. lived with my mom, and tried to make it happen. And how did that fundraising effort go? It was a very challenging thing because our own business model wasn't really set up in, in a way that made sense. I think, I think telemedicine is still figuring it out today. Oh, I yeah. think a lot of startups have made it work by going through employers. That's what we were trying to do, but like it was way too early. It was the wrong time, maybe even the wrong place. Kenya has a lot of regulations, especially for digital health. So, you know, startups are making it work now. And it honestly makes me so happy to see that. And I love speaking to startups in this field and, and tell them everything we did wrong and, and everything I would have corrected yeah, and yeah. just hand that over to them. Because if they're already progress beyond what yeah. we managed to do, then then please run with it. Yeah. And yeah, this is my obviously. Yeah. yeah, obviously you have so much wisdom and knowledge to share, but if you were to go back and try to do this again, like what are one or two key things that you would have done differently? And yeah. Honestly, I think the, the, the timing is a big part of it. So there's not much to do about that. I think when uh-huh. you're trying to, to develop too many novel things at once, that's when things go wrong. And, 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 you know, that is reflected now in the baby checker journey as well, which I'm sure we'll get to in a bit. As well, but it's, if you're trying to like put too many novel pieces of the, you know, the technical piece, the, the business modeling piece, who your clients are, like all of that, it's, it's all mm-hmm. novel at once. People can't take that much newness and novelty at once. So you have to focus yeah. on one, on yeah. one thing. And, and also the target, the targeted field of, of healthcare. And the, the thing that's the most flawed in healthcare right now is in the settings I work in, just to make that more specific, is silos. Everything's a silo. Everything's a disease Mm -hmm. silo, especially. And that's how financing works. And that's how apps are built. It's all silos. Here's our diabetes app. Here's our pregnancy app. Here's funding for tuberculosis. Here's funding for malaria. And we were trying to tackle that way too soon by being like, no, let's do like an end-to-end, like one-stop shop for everybody that's seeking help. That's not necessarily a patient. It could be you. It could be me. It could be a nurse. It could be a doctor. It could be anyone. Um, And it was just too early to to be so broad about it. That's a great, that's an awesome vision. Like, do do, have you, do you have a shout out to like a a telemedicine company that is, that is kind of like doing, doing something or maybe something more niche now that you've seen that's promising? Yes. Beyond Eight in Kenya. 
they've definitely now passed like so like like a phase one or phase two challenges that many startups will face and then die unfortunately I, they they've passed that now so they're yeah. I think there there are ways of of engaging with the ministry governments insurance companies mm. like really integrating into the healthcare system instead of being a a standalone app is is mm. probably the best thing that they, that they have going for them yeah that's yeah, interesting. This is a good segue into Baby Checker. Now, I read something on your website that I, I was pretty surprised to read, and it said every day, 830 women die from preventable causes related to pregnancy and childbirth. And 80, 86% of these women are estimated maternal deaths are in sub-Saharan Africa or Southern Asia, according to the World Health Organization. So, it seems like, first of all, I mean, Buster, I don't know about you. When I read those numbers, I, I was astounded because I didn't realize that there's that many deaths every day related to this, to maternal deaths. But it seems like you've learned a little bit from your experience because Baby Checker seems to be focused on one core thing. And that one core thing is that you can put this in the hands of people that are non-experienced. They can watch a three-minute tutorial video. And after watching that video, they can begin scanning women and using this tool. I mean, is that is that what the focus seems to be right now, Enya? Exactly. It's probably one of the most specific things I've ever worked. <laughs> and it's but how's it how's it going? I mean, how much research was done into this? How long have you been involved into this? Oh, and yeah. who's testing it right now? In a nutshell, lots of research. I mean, a product like this, because if we were talking about the digital health spectrum and digital health being, you know, what I've always worked on, this is at the more complex end of the spectrum, right? We're talking about machine learning, computer vision, software that, you know, that's the, that's the technical aspect. But then the usability aspect is to be used by untrained, you know, not, no, no specialists, no medical expert. And then the other component of that is for vulnerable communities. So there's so much complexity no. in this like triangle I just mentioned. So the technical complexity. Who are you addressing? Very vulnerable, you know, low income individuals. And then the target user, someone who doesn't have much clinical knowledge or any really. So, so yeah, it's been, been years in the making. Awesome. Can we talk a little bit about the technology that allows the baby checker to work? I mean, was this developed by a team of engineers at a university? Who developed this? Yeah. So the first thing that we wanted to look into was if, if the point of care ultrasound, which is the, the new phenomenon with ultrasound at the moment is that, is that it's not a big machine anymore. It's this thing that you can plug into your mobile device, right? The okay. first thing we wanted to look into was, is that thing as good as the big machine? Because otherwise you can't develop AI for the, for a source of imaging that's not as good as the gold standard. Yeah. Uh, so that was step one. That was like years ago. And, 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 and we, you know, that was a green light, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be here. And then the other aspect was, okay, so once we're getting images from this low cost, you know, device, can we actually train an algorithm to detect things like the head circumference on its own? And again, and yes, green light, it's possible. And right. then, then you take it from there in a nutshell. Okay. Now on the surface, it seems like every community health organization would want baby checker in their facilities, but I'm guessing there are some things that maybe worry health officials. If so, what are those things? And yeah. Yeah. I think different countries will have different concerns. There's not one approach, one single approach to looking at even, even antenatal care. You know, needless to say, like there's not one approach to look at AI. I mean, we can see that all across the world right now, but 
but we don't even need to go that far. There's not one approach to solving maternal mortality. So every mm-hmm. Ministry of Health has a different strategy. For most part, the the impression is positive because what we're building is a way that they can detect risky pregnancies way sooner, way closer to the woman's house in the community by community yes. health workers. So for most part, it, it's positive. The concern is in some countries like India, for example, where there are strict regulations on putting medical devices in the hands of non-professionals, you know, people who are mm-hmm. not, who don't have specialist backgrounds, mm-hmm. that's a concern. But, but you know, that's going to have to be addressed as AI is coming up and yeah. it's, it's getting more and more validation for being a really effective triage tool in, in healthcare. So that's going to have to be addressed. The concern most ministries and, and organizations I speak to is is really on the financial side of it. There's simply not not that much financing on you know community based healthcare. Hospitals are financed. Diseases are financed. The pregnancy that's not a disease. So it's yeah. a really weird nuance area that's really missing out from a lot of the global financing that that some diseases get anything preventive ba- basically right which is yeah. under performance yeah. yeah exactly yeah 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 so i saw a post on linkedin that you're currently doing a collaboration with the lionheart Medi- medical center mm-hmm. in sierra leone are there any other collaborations that are coming down the pipeline right now yes so some collaborations also with like we always involve like district government, for example, in, in all the, in all the communities we work in, a lot of local NGOs as well. Starting to work in Uganda very soon with a large international organization. So I'll say more about that later once we, once we get started with that project. And also some projects have come up in, you know, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Ghana. And mostly the concept is, yeah, really with hospitals like the Lionheart Medical Center, who are small but powerful enough to have a voice in this and say, hey, we as a hospital, we know how impactful it would be to have these devices around the hospital so we can get more timely referrals at our hospital. And those are really the champions we have now is, is being these hospitals speaking out and kind of leading the, the way. And, and, you know, you need medical people to, to lead the way sometimes because they're the ones people will listen to. Yeah, yeah great. Yeah. <laughs> And All right. Be- before we jump into the fun rapid fire question, Buster, anything to add to this? Oh man, tons of things. But but actually, but actually, before we go into rapid fire questions, I, I have something kind of controversial I want to bring up. Just to, I mean, we've talked about this before a little bit. I, I think we both struggle with it, but I, I, I'm guessing you more. You're an innovator. You're or you're innovating in Africa. You're helping mothers with baby checker. You're the African director of Sigma Squares, helping young impact founders in Africa. You're not natively from Africa. There's a long history of people going to these countries wanting to make a difference. I know you're very reflective and realistic about this stuff and your place in this and how and why you do it. So can you share your thoughts around this? Because I think it's very interesting yeah. and I think you have great ideas, Connor. Yeah, absolutely. I think even once I have a 20 or 30 year career in Africa, I'll never, you know, sit here and be like, I know this continent, like I know the back of my hand. You will never get it. And I think that's what I know. You know, yeah. like I said before, I know that I don't know. And yeah. every environment I go into, I'm very, you know, I try to be as sensitive and sensible and pers- and thoughtful as thoughtful as I can be with whatever yeah. I know, the limits of my knowledge uh, and, and, you know, try to see what's really needed because yeah. I, Wait, you often see innovators and, and investors as well 
go into projects that really have nothing to do with the tackling the actual problems. And mm-hmm. you can see that that's a complete disconnect between them even engaging with people locally. And that's, that's the difference that I hope I'm making, which is, you know, really, I mean, Buster, you, you know this, but for the past two years, I mean, I've really been with our users. Yeah. A lot. It's, you know, <laughs> it's very hard to get a hold of Enya because she's, she's offline in the somewhere. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really, because I really, yeah. you know, I'm a very efficient thinker. Like I would, I hate waste. I hate waste. And I would hate to be working on something that is novel and cool for like Western, the Western world. Like, oh my God, AI, yeah. safer pregnancies in Africa. Cool. Yeah, 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 it's great. But like, do they actually need that? And is it actually interesting? And when yeah. you, even when you talk about, oh, let's train all the midwives of Africa to, to learn how to use an ultrasound. Mm-hmm. You ask the midwives of Africa if that's what they wanted. Yeah. And they're always missing from the dialogue. I mean, we have million, like huge grants, multi-million dollar grants to tackle, you know, malaria prevention that are going to Western organizations. There's consortiums that have no, no African involvement at all. And, and so it, it's yeah. just, it's about being aware of that and about involving local stakeholders in what you're doing. And, and I'm, I'm hyper aware of that. And that this conversation could continue on and on, but that, that's basically where I am in, in that so yeah, process. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. No, I know you are. That's why I brought it up. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Yeah. No, Anya, I was going to say just approximately, I know you guys are still trying to find partners to collaborate with, or you guys are actually doing that right now, but how many scans would you estimate that the baby checker has done so far? Thousands, thousands. In Sierra Leone, for example, every facility we're at makes a minimum of, of uh, 500 scans a year or 500 women, sorry. So, and so that number of scans is going up. So if you're scanning 500 women, the hope is that they're coming back for more scans. So that's only going up now. And what we're seeing is as soon as women in the village know, oh my God, there's this machine at the facility yeah. and it can tell me if I'm having a placenta previa and if I need to go to the Lionheart Hospital, for example, and also gives me a 2D image of my baby, you know, this sort of attraction yeah. and gets women yeah. coming more and more. So so yeah, every year it's more and more per facility. Yeah, this is fascinating. So fascinating. All right, let's get to the rapid fire questions here. Give me the first answer that comes to your head. Are you ready, Anya? God, yes, yes, I'm ready. Okay, and Buster, try not to laugh too loud here. Okay, you ready? Anya, what celebrity did you have a crush on as a teenager? Harry Potter. <laughs> Harry Potter? Mulder, <laughs> Mulder, like <laughs> which movie? Oh, from the from the get go. <laughs> oh yeah, I was an early adopter. From when he was like eight years old. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, big fan. Okay, okay. I did not see that one coming. All right, all right. Good weapons. coming out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. My next question for you, but I already know the answer is: What is a silly a silly reason you once cried? <laughs> so we know we know when you board a flight when you get on a flight right okay yeah that's so what is something Again, it's joy let, let me put that because you know because that's yeah. here to me now and to everyone who knows me but it's joy okay all right <laughs> what is an unusual food or drink that you like to consume i really like chia pudding it sounds really like <laughs> really stir <laughs> But I think the texture, it's like every bite I take, yeah, I'm wondering if I like this. <laughs> Do you approve, Buster? 
Are you a chia pudding fan? I, I I approve. I was I was gonna be like, is it the texture? But I like that that you're still wondering if you like it, and that's the I'm correcting myself all the time. If I like this, I'm I'm missing a lot of fiber from from you know my travels and everything. So when I come back to the Netherlands, I love to boost myself as much as possible. And chia pudding is my go-to. <laughs> okay, okay. The next question: twenty-five thousand dollars cash or dinner? With Ariana Huffington. Dinner. Dinner okay. with Ariana. Yeah. I think that the long-term returns, emotional, intellectual, and maybe financial returns will be much greater. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Okay. A favorite TV show that you can watch again and again? Uh, favorite TV show? Uh, the Sopranos. The Sopranos. Oh. Okay. Yes. I've already watched it three times. So I was jokingly going to say Scarface, but this is very poor. I don't know. Okay, and last question for you: the most interesting thing that you did in the last twenty-six days? Nothing. I I had the day where I did nothing, and that's pretty interesting. Ah, uh-huh. yeah. Oh. Stillness, nothing. I laid on my floor, looking at the ceiling for about thirty minutes, which is a record-breaking time for me, and it was awesome. Loved it. Uh-huh. That sounds quite pleasant. I've never had thirty minutes to just do nothing, so uh-huh. that that seems really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no flight to catch, no trips to go on to, no no suitcase to pack. Yeah, it was it was great. I loved it. Was there any Janis Joplin playing in the background or always, or no? always? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. Anya, thank you so much for coming on Innovators Can Laugh. If people want to learn more about you, what's the website or where should they go? So, if anyone wants to learn more about what we're doing, please go to babychecker.delf.care and connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Anya Sigan on LinkedIn, I think. So I think I should be easy to find. Yeah. Uh, and that's really the easiest way to to reach me as well. Just reach out, say hello. And yeah, we'd love to chat. All right. I'll include links to these Bye. to this website in the show notes. Buster, before we go off, thank you so much for being a co-host. Any last comments or thoughts? Oh, well, so I have one comment. I, I saw that you're looking for a business development intern. So I just wanted to do that call to action. Yeah. Never know. Launch and scale up a novel AI solution designed to improve maternal health in good, low right? income settings. That's yeah, it sounds really sexy. So I recommend anyone to reach yeah. out to anyone. Yeah. anyone. yeah, we're looking to grow the team in general. So if anyone, you know, this speaks to you, please reach out. I would love to and grow our team. Fantastic. All right. Anya, thank you so much for being on Innovators Can Laugh. Thank you. I had a wonderful time chatting with Anya and having Buster here as my co-host really made the conversation more engaging and a lot of fun. If you want to learn more about Anya, go to www.babychecker.delft.care. Links to all of this are on the show notes and on the Innovators Can Laugh website. Thank you to Enya for being on the show and to Buster for being a great co-host. If you like this episode, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or YouTube and tell others about it. Thanks.